Welcome to the podcast for Centerpoint Church, located in the heart of Concord, New Hampshire. Centerpoint is all about living and sharing a life-changing relationship with Jesus. The message today is a part of that journey, and we are glad to have you join us. All righty, good times. It's always such a curious thing to see, isn't it? If you watch the parade head out the door, mostly. Michael's trying to get in on the action. Good to be here with you this morning. Very, very good. Uh, we're starting into a, a new series today. Uh, series is kind of how we talk about our messages over a period of time, right? We, so, so we have a, a theme that we develop. It's either a, a topical theme or it's a, a book of the Bible or something like that, but it kind of ties messages together over a period of time. And so <clears throat> between now and Easter, uh, we're going to develop this theme through Scripture, and the theme that we're looking at, frankly, is, uh, is sin. We're going to take a, a good, hard look at sin. There's a good pick-me-up for you, right? <laughs> we're going to have some good times here. But this is so important for us to, to look at. Not because sin is the most important thing about us, but, but as we catch a glimpse of it, it elicits something from us. As, as we see it for what it is, it, it draws something out of us, beginning with a, oof, right? When we look at what sin actually is and what it does, it elicits a, oh, and it elicits a, an ache and a cry. <laughs> the harder I try to get out, the more I get entangled. Who will help me? Who will save me from this? And it opens our eyes to see the beauty and the goodness of a God who answers that cry of a longing heart. For it is Jesus who saves us from this. And so we're going to look at sin. Uh, Cheer up. It's worse than you think. And so let's look. Let's begin by praying. Father, give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. And give us hearts that are soft in your care. And while we acknowledge it is much worse than we could ever imagine... You are much more than we could ever imagine. So do a work in us today, we pray. Amen. We're going to begin by looking at a passage of Scripture towards the very beginning of the book. Genesis chapter 3. Begin turning there with me, if you would. Genesis chapter 3. We find ourselves having been created. Creation, everything that has been made, was made by him. We find humanity is the pinnacle point of creation, and God graciously placed man and woman in a garden that he had created, a place of abundance, a place of flourishing, and he had placed them there to be with them there. And that's where our story picks up. Um, We are going to read all of chapter 3. Uh, So we're not just going to take out a few pieces. We're going to read the whole thing. So I'd encourage you to look on your phone, look in your paper Bible. You can follow the screen if you want. But in the longer ones, it it is a little bit harder to do that. 
So Genesis 3, beginning at verse 1. <clears throat> what an introduction. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. The Lord said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. And to Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat fruit from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. The Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Oof. And so what do we see here? There's so much for us to consider. 
in this chapter, Genesis chapter 3. It's a, it's a heavy chapter for us, and yet we also see these inklings, these clues to what God is up to. First, we consider the temptation, the first lines of the chapter. Again, what a great introduction, is it not? The serpent was more crafty than all the other wild animals. It makes the reader go, oh, I wonder what's going to happen here. I wonder what's going to happen. I wonder what could possibly happen as the serpent enters the narrative. And it, of course, elicits for us a lot of questions, a lot of which we aren't actually going to answer here tonight, but but it raises for us some questions. Who is this serpent that seems to exercise such power? I actually love how this is recorded for us. God, God records it's, it's a serpent. It is, it is a part of creation. Sometimes there's the temptation to think that, that evil or the devil or Satan himself is sort of the, the counterbalance to God. There's God and then there's Satan. But this story makes it very clear. The serpent was more crafty than all of the other wild animals that the Lord God had created. It, it reminds us that the tempter is absolutely not on par with the creator. He is not God's foil. He is by no means God's equal. He is but a serpent, a uh, part of creation and notice how he gets in there. He misrepresents. He just does this niggling little thing as he misrepresents God's intentions and God's very words. He takes the heart of God and he just bends it just a little bit. Just a little bit. This is what deception looks like. Deception doesn't necessarily look like here's the truth and here's the deception. Deception looks like just a little bit off. Oh, and it's so deceiving and it's so enticing. And look at how he, he tapped into the very heartbeat of the man and the woman. They had been given this commission by God to rule and reign over all creation, to take Eden to all the world, to exercise God's authority and dominion over all of creation. Do you know what would be really handy in exercising, ruling, and reigning over all of creation? Knowledge, wisdom. Knowing good from evil would be so handy. God would be so pleased if we had the knowledge of good and evil, would he not? And so here's the serpent more crafty than all the others, holding it out. Did God really say, well, because God knows if you did this, you would be like him. And he just begins to tap into the desire of the heart. This is what temptation looks like. And look at the sin itself. It's described, she saw what was desirable. Oh, this is good, right? Seeing what is desirable, then taking it for herself. It doesn't matter how many times God had said, I am the one who names good and evil. I am the one who will show you. You have been crafted. You have been created. You have been knit together from the dust of the earth with my spirit breathed into you so that we might rule and reign together 
over all of creation. God's intention is that this would be wrapped up together. But here the desire was, ooh, oh, so good. The desire is connected to the commission. Oh, this would be really good. Imagine how pleased with God, with us God would be if we had this knowledge, if we had this understanding, if we had this wisdom, God would be oh so pleased to see what is desirable, to reach it, and to take it. This is what sin looks like. And in this seeing what is desirable, this reaching, this taking It was a rejection, a resounding rejection of God's love. God said, we're going to do this together. I'm with you. You with me, me with you. Together we're going to see flourishing over all of creation. This taking for oneself is a repudiation of God's love. And it is a rebellion of God's law. God as creator, creator, establishes the rules. He made life. He created life out of nothing. He created abundance and flourishing from simply his desire expressed in his word. He establishes order and rules. It's who he is. And he said, don't. This tree, the tree of life, It is at your disposal, flourishing, abundance, life. This one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, no, don't. And so the desiring, the reaching, the grabbing was rebellion against the law of God himself. And the consequences that we see here Besides just the the ripping and the rending of what's happening. Immediately we see the fracture between the man and the woman. We see shame entering in for the first time. They saw that they were unclothed and they were ashamed. And shame has been a key player in the human story ever since. It was a rending of the relationship between um, humanity and creation. Instead of being the caretakers of, instead of being uh, the, uh, the rulers and reigners over, they used creation to cover their shame. They used creation for, at their disposal. That which was, it was intended for them to cultivate, to flourishing, they used And again, taking. And then we see this painful rending between humanity and creator. We hid because we heard you. And we look at how God speaks to the serpent to the woman and to the man. And notice with the woman and the man what he talks about there. And the theme of what's developed in there in in what's described as, as curses given to the woman and to the man is this very thing. The commission that he had given them 
would now be accomplished only in toil and pain. Look at these things. God said, cover the earth, subdue it, multiply, rule and reign over all of creation for its good and flourishing. And then it wasn't good that man was alone. Why? Because he couldn't accomplish the commission on his own. The commission required the multiplication. So God created a suitable completer for him. And now together they could complete the mission given to them to multiply, to cover the earth, to rule and to reign for the good of creation, for its flourishing and beauty. And so here he speaks to the woman, the very one who was given as this completer, the one who would allow the commission to be fulfilled. And he says, you will fulfill the commission, but your child rearing, that's, it's a bigger picture than just labor pains. It's this whole picture of, of, of having children will be painful for you, will require labor for you. To fulfill the commission will come with pain and struggle. And to the man, he says, look at the fields where you're going to draw your food from. They're no longer filled with bounty and abundance, but you will work by the sweat of your brow. You will eat only because of your toil. And you're going to work, and you're going to work, and it will produce thorns and thistles before you can even eat. The commission remains, but now is burdened with toil and pain. But we also see in this the grace. We also see in this the grace. This is a simple little question that God asks. Where are you? Where are you? It's not like God didn't know where they were. He knew precisely where they were. This question, where are you, is to call them out, which of course it does. Where are you? You're supposed to be with me. Where are you? We're supposed to be walking together. Where are you? Hidden behind those trees. Come out here. Be with me once again. And so we see God's grace even at work in this moment, face to face with the rebellers, with the rejectors. He says, where are you? And even as he's talking to the snake, listen to those words in verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head even as you strike his heel. Jesus is setting up this, this dynamic that's going to take place. And it births in us as the readers this hopeful expectation that one who would come along, who would crush the head of the serpent, even as the serpent strikes his heel. Who is this snake crusher? Who is the one who will be struck in the heel? Who will be wounded, but who will ultimately be victorious over the serpent? And then we see in verse 21, did you notice what God did there? Verse 21, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Here they are standing before him naked and ashamed, 
doing their best to cover themselves with the leaves that they had at their disposal. And what does God do? He makes clothes of skin for them and covers them. He does for them what they could not do for themselves. Oh, they had so tried to cover their own shame, but it was inadequate. It could not be done. And so God did for them what they could not do for themselves. And he makes garments out of skin. This is not a vegan act. Where does a garment of skin come from? The death of an animal. And so here in the garden, confronting face to face the rebellion, the shedding of blood for the covering of sin and shame. God does for them what they could not do for themselves. And even his, his uh, pushing them out of the garden was really a gift of his grace. And he ensured that they could not get back in. Why? So that they could not get to the tree of life and live forever, we're told. See, God's grace is that humanity would not remain in the place of sin-filled rebellion for eternity. God had another plan for them. And so we see in the story, the temptation, the sin, the consequence, and even the grace. And lest we get the impression that this is a fanciful story from a really long time ago, what does this have to be with us? What does this have to do with us. We might try to dismiss it as something irrelevant and over here, but oh, if we do, we have not been paying attention. For if we have been paying attention, we see not only the man and the woman created of the dust and breathed on by God, we see ourselves in the story. For at the very same place, we might go, oh, Eve, come on now. You know better than that. You're in perfect paradise. You have everything that you could want. Oh, Adam, for crying out loud, how long have you been with him? He has shown you who he is. He has shown you his, for crying out loud, Adam, how could you? <laughs> and here we are. You and I do the very same thing. Lest we believe that we could have been in that same spot and passed the test. Lest we believe that we could have been in that same spot and shown God what we were made of and what we had to offer him that was better than them. Do you see our very thoughts about that betray us? Look what I would have done differently. Look how I would have been more righteous. Look at how I wouldn't have screwed up perfect paradise. God, you would have been so happy with me had you been looking on. And it's those very thoughts that place us in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. 
And so you and I are as held captive by the snaky one as were they. We live daily in the presence of snaky temptation. The serpent was more crafty than all of the other animals that God had made. Now, I suspect that uh, you haven't been approached by a snake over the course of this past week. You weren't sitting in your office and a snakey comes up and starts talking to you. That would have been quite remarkable, would it not? Right? It, it probably didn't happen as you were out on the shop floor. It didn't happen as you were uh, clearing the snow from the sidewalk that a snake approaches you. Odd indeed. So we don't necessarily contend with a physical serpent in our days. But oh, the serpent remains more crafty than all of the other animals that the Lord God had made. His impact is felt in our world. And the same little things happen. The same little whisperings in our ears. The, did God really say, come on now? That, that seems a bit far-fetched, does it not? That, that seems a little bit naive to live life like that. To forgive those who hurt you? Come on, nobody actually does that. Right? The temptation doesn't go from here to here in general. It goes here to just a little bit off. Oh, look how pleased God would be with you if you just took matters into your own hands. Look how smart he made you. Of course he would want you to use your brain and figure it out for yourself. Quit Quit bothering him. He's busy. Right? You've had those thoughts, right? Like, why do I bring the small stuff to God? God, I'll call you in the big stuff, but I can handle the small stuff. The little serpent whisper makes its way out. And here's the thing. It doesn't sound like it's all that far-fetched. The little whisperings of the serpent. Doesn't sound like that big of a deal, does it? As a matter of fact, most often, the whisperings of the serpent sound an awful lot like your voice. And how bad could your voice really be? How bad could my voice be for myself? Like, you don't have my voice in your head. You got your voice in your head, but I got my voice in my head. How bad could I, my voice really be? I want good things for me. I know how to avoid pain. I know how to seek pleasure. I know how to be safe. I know how to have meaning. I know how to, I know how to matter. And there it is. The serpent was more crafty than all of the other animals that the Lord God had made. And you do that too. And he touches on the places of desire. God made me to do this, so I'm going to do it. God made me to experience pleasure, so I'll take it because it looks desirable. God made me to be safe, so I'm going to take it and keep it. Right? We do the same thing. The same, the same upper body exercise as the woman. See it, take it, pull it, keep it. Right? It's like an aerobics routine. And we do it over and over and over again. 
And then the snaky voice comes in and says, come on, that's not that big of a deal. Do you mean to tell me because you did that little thing, like everybody does it, is that big of a deal that, that God's going to send you to hell? Come on now, it's not that big of a deal. There's the little whisper. The serpent was more crafty. Right? This is how deception works. This is how hiding works. And so we see it, we desire it, we take it for ourselves. Oh, and when we take it, doesn't it feel good? Like, oh, I crunch that fruit. This is going to be good. Oh, it's so good going down. It's so juicy and sweet. Whatever the fruit is, like, oh, it's so good. Oh, 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 oof. Oh, uh-oh, right? This is how it happens. The desire settles in. And that which we grasp onto out of juicy sweetness and delight becomes our undoing. And so what do we do? We scramble. We try to fix it. We try to make it right. We do it on our own accord and we eat more. We eat more. Well, certainly if I eat more, it'll settle the stomach and it traps us. It holds us. It entangles us. And the more that we writhe and grasp, the more that it holds us fast. And we soon discover there's no way out. And so we do our best to cover our shame. We sow some leaves together Show up at the office in fig leaves. See what happens. It doesn't work. It doesn't cover it. It doesn't remove the shame. And so we're standing there in our exposure, in our vulnerability, in our weakness, in our shame. Oh, who will rescue us from this disease trap? And along comes one. There was the wondering if he, it might be him. We had heard the rumors that, that Jesus, could, could he be the Like, we've had all these people show up beforehand. They were supposed to be the snake crushers, and nobody did it. They all just succumbed to the trap. But there's something that seems different about this one. And so we witness his baptism where he fulfills all righteousness, going into the water and coming up. And the spirit lands on him like a dove and the voice of God the Father thunders, this is my son, my beloved, I love him, in him I am well pleased, before he even does anything. And then immediately from that place, he's taken out into the wilderness. We're told in Luke chapter four, we're not gonna read it right now, but in Luke chapter four, we're told he was taken out into the wilderness. The spirit led him there. Like, like, don't have this impression that he got himself there. And this wilderness, the, the wilderness, the wilderness, the record's not stuck. I'm making sure we're seeing something. The wilderness. Instead of finding himself in a place of kind of the creation around him, it's a non-city, it's isolated, it's standing alone. It, it might have an appearance of a garden, but instead of being filled with flourishing and abundance, it's filled, we, we're see, we see it's, it's scarcity and lack, fasting for 40 days, the winds whipping across, 
the wilderness. And it is in that very place that the serpent arrives. And three times he tests Jesus. Read it for yourself in Luke chapter four. Three times he, oh, well, certainly, you've come here to fulfill a mission. I can help you fulfill this mission. See it, desire it, take it. And every time Jesus thwarts him. In the very same place for the, where the man and the woman in the perfect place of abundance and flourishing failed. Jesus, in a place of scarcity and testing, was faithful. And then in the place of ultimate, it says, the, Satan left him until an opportune time. And about three years later, that opportune time revealed itself. For it was on the cross, not by his own sin, but for the sin of the world, that Jesus was faithful to the mission at hand. And the mission at hand was to rescue those enslaved to sin that they might know freedom and life. He became on that cross the tree of life, eternal life, abundant life, flourishing life, that which was kept at bay by a flaming sword held by a mighty cherubim had now been revealed to all the world, the tree of life. It was him all along. I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 John. The book of 1 John. It's towards the end, just before Revelation. 1 John chapter 1. We're going to begin reading at verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. We're going to come back, but stop for a moment. This light and darkness, what did, what did, what did the man and woman, what did Adam and Eve do when they had sinned and they were ashamed? They, they saw that for the first time that they were naked. They hid in the shadows. And God, the creator, came and walked in the garden in the cool of the day. And he said, where are you? Drawing them to himself in the light. Come out of the shadow. Our sin, we lurk in shadows. And our sin, we appreciate the darkness because it hides, it covers. But God himself draws us out of the shadows and beckons us to the light. And he is the light Verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful, and he is just, or righteous, and will forgive us our sins, and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim that we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this. To you, so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. 
He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He is the one who, whose blood was shed to cover our sin, to get rid of our sin. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. This is what God has done. He was telegraphing that in Genesis chapter 3. And in Christ, he fulfills it. For Jesus was the righteous one, the faithful one, all the way to the end. And Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sin. God told us at the very beginning, the remedy is not something you can do for yourselves, but I, God, will do for you what you cannot do for yourself. And God takes on flesh, Emmanuel, and dwells among us. And God himself walks the road of death, of the spilling of blood for the sacrifice and forgiveness of those who would come to him in humility. God has done for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And the more we try to do it for ourselves, the more it ensnares us in its trap. And John tells us what we must do in response. If we confess our sins, right? He says, come out of the shadows and walk in the light. Our confession is our participation. We don't generate the light. We step into the light. And our confession is how we step into the light. We see it for what it is. It's filth, it's putrescence, the rebellion against God's law and the rejection of God's love. Confess our sins. And when we do, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Confess our sins and he will forgive and we receive his forgiveness and grace. For in the very moment that we take it and grab it for ourselves and try to run away cheerfully with what he has held out for us, we lose it. We slips through our fingers. It's not ours, but simply as we receive it, his life is breathed into us in newness, flourishing, and abundance. And he and he alone is the source of this life. Your money cannot do this for you. Your job and prestige cannot do this for you. Your relationships, your network, your family cannot do this for you. Your parents cannot do this for you. Your grandparents cannot do this for you. Jesus does this for you. And he, and he alone, as the sacrifice for our sin, offers us life now and forever. Let's pray together. Jesus, we stand before you in need of your forgiveness. We confess our sin. You can even do that right now, right where you're sitting. Own it, come into the light. He is in the light.
And he calls you there. Forgive my sin. I receive your forgiveness today. And I receive your life as you breathe your spirit into me today. That I might walk with you today, tomorrow, and forever. And all of this is because of what you have done through Jesus, your son, my Lord, my King, my rescuer. And in whose name we pray right now. Amen. Amen. Stand with me if you would. If you have life in the Son, you have life that can never be stolen. If you have not received life in the Son, whatever you have will melt away, will blow away like dust in the wind. It cannot stand. Christ and Christ alone is what stands and gives life. May you have confidence in that today. And our confidence is not in us. Our confidence is in who he is. It is confidence in his love. It is confidence in his grace. It is confidence in his power to do what he says he will do. If we will but come to him in humility. If you want to talk with somebody about that today, we've got prayer team up here who would love to talk with you and pray with you that you might know that life. The folks that are around you that you came with would love to talk with you and pray with you that you might know life. But, but do this thing, that his life would be yours. And even as you all, all of us, walk in this place of unrelenting sin and its pursuit of our souls, in Christ we live and walk and breathe in God's unrelenting love. May that be yours as you walk with him. Thank you. Take a little bit to stop and reflect on what God might be saying to you and how you'll respond to him today. Wherever you are on your journey of faith, we are here to serve you. Find us at centerpointnh.org and join us on the journey of living and sharing a life-changing relationship with Jesus.